Take your Bible and find Ephesians, would you please? Ephesians, Ephesians in the Word of God. We're talking about what does a happy Christian home look like anyway. And we've sure covered a lot of material in Ephesians and a few more things tonight to get us ready for the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we'll start. Hope you've had a good day. It's been beautiful weather, hasn't it? And this is great weather. We've enjoyed our time with you guys. It's been a blessing to be around Pastor and to fellowship with him again and just uh, catch up a little bit. And we've enjoyed uh, just the entire week. Food's been great. The accommodations here at the uh, Prophet's Chamber, the missions apartments, is excellent. And uh, thank you for treating me and Micah so well. I mentioned on Sunday how much I love red Corvettes. And uh, I got a... Uh, well, it's not a Corvette. Said she couldn't find one, but I got a red Mustang. And uh, that's my wife's favorite car, so I'll uh, send this to my wife. That'll be, I told her, look, look, honey, I went to Michigan and bought you a Mustang. And uh, that's a great, it's great right there. I like that. Hey, go by our book table now. I haven't highlighted too much about it. I told you about Dr. Tice's book. I want to highlight that again. Raising God's Kids in Sin City is a subtitled 15 Biblical Principles for Christian Parents. And I'll tell you that very few books have impacted my life as much as this one. The truth of this book we learned 20 plus years ago in a conference with Dr. Tice. And uh, it's practical, it's simple, it's biblical, it's powerful. And I've watched him now for the last almost 27 years, I guess now, and I've seen that what he says in this book actually works. I've seen it in his own home that it works. And uh, it's a simple read. It's, uh, it's got humor in it. One of the stories he tells in here is he tells a story about he took a night off with his kids while his wife went to a ladies' event. He spent the evening, they were going to watch a, a, a Spider-Man movie. That was their big event of the night. The daddy and the kids watch a Spider-Man movie and popcorn. And he came home as his wife was leaving. She had to go. He got home. She took off. And he went in the downstairs bathroom and somebody had poured a whole bottle of their vitamin C down the toilet and not flushed it. And his kids hated vitamin C. So he figured somebody's trying to get by without taking their vitamin C. So he went outside, lined them all up and said, now look, somebody did it. And I don't know who it was. And they all denied it. All of them, all five of them denied it. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. So he sent them upstairs. And said, go up there and we're not going to watch this movie. We won't have popcorn. We won't have any fun tonight until somebody makes this right. Because we got to do right. And they all went upstairs and he checked on them a couple of times. Nobody admitted it. What he didn't know is they were up there trying to convince the one son of theirs, just admit it and take the punishment. And uh, he wouldn't do it. And hours went by and his wife came home. The kids were upstairs. He's standing by the stuff. And found out when she got home that she was the one that had poured out those expired vitamin C. And uh, oh man, he tells about how he had to make that right. I've heard his kids tell about it. No, they remember it. And they laugh about it now because daddy worked so hard to overcome that. You, you'll read about it. It's, it's practical, easy. Take advantage of that. That is an excellent book. And then Dr. Chapel, Paul Chapel of uh, Lancaster Baptist Church. Uh, in uh, West Coast Baptist College. He wrote this a year ago called Making Homework in a Broken Society. How many of you agree this is a broken society, don't you? Sometimes it's hard to believe what you see on the news. Isn't it? Can, is it really? Are you serious? This book is Bible Principles for Raising Children and Building Families. And I hope you'll take advantage of them. These, I brought them to be a help to you. 
And this is a hardback edition. It's our most expensive book. But I, I finished it last summer flying to Europe to preach. And uh, I, I just, I loved it. It's practical, biblical, helpful. It's up to date because he's uh, very up to date. He wrote it for his church family there in California. Take advantage of both of these books. They'll be a great help to your family. And uh, I've, I've sold this one for years. This is not a family book, but it's my all-time favorite book. I put it on the table every meeting I go to, no matter whether it's a conference or a revival. It's Dr. John Rice's book on prayer. How many of you have a copy of it, do you? A lot of you should, probably at home, an old copy. And uh, you need a copy of this book. Take advantage of it. This is an outstanding book. If you want to know how to pray and get your prayers answered, Dr. Rice will tell you how in this book. And I'm just telling you, flat out tell you how. He'll tell you how to pray for miracles. He'll tell you how to pray for healing. He'll, he'll talk about how you should fast and when and why and does it work and does it matter? And what do you do if your prayers don't get answered? Uh, this book covers it all in simple terms. I'm from Tennessee and I loved it. I can understand it. So I know you Michiganders can and uh, take advantage of this book. This is excellent. You ought to get a copy of it if you don't own a copy and you ought to devour it. That is practical Christian living and that'll be a great blessing to you. I also, I also got to tell you, I got two bags of coffee tonight and chocolate chip cookies without walnuts. <laughs> Can somebody say amen here? I told that story several years ago at Cleveland Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. And there's about 800 people in that church. And I told the story about how I love chocolate chip cookies without walnuts. And the next night I came to church and there was about 115 ladies in the church who had made me a batch of chocolate chip cookies. And it became the humor of the church because they just piled them up on the front row. We had, a, we had a celebration afterwards and just shared the cookies. It was pretty exciting. And I'll never forget that night. Wow. If I'd eaten all those, I'd have been as big as this pulpit. And that's a pretty good-sized pulpit, isn't it? That's a goodness. Well, I'm so glad you've come. I'm glad you've uh, been in church tonight and this week to let the Lord work in your heart. Your kids are back there with Mike. Uh, it's light night back there. And, uh, boy, I helped set it up. There's... Uh, flashing lights and, and the glow sticks and, and, and glowing lights. And they're going to have a great service back there. Micah will preach tonight the creation story, applying it to the gospel to our children. And so they'll hear the gospel. I'm, I'm praying that some will be saved tonight. I hope you'll pray that way too. And so be mindful that Micah's back there giving the gospel while we're in here. And we're in Ephesians 4, Ephesians chapter 4, and here's what we've been doing. You that are just joining us for the night, we have been applying the book of Ephesians to our families. And what we started with was Ephesians 4 verse 1. We started way back in Sunday school, and by now it's almost second nature to you, where Paul says in verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And so Paul's laying out for us here that all of us who are saved are called of God to live the Christian life. We're called of God. And we're also called of God to have a Christian home. Now, you all have agreed with me on that, haven't you? God wants your marriage to succeed. Do you believe that? How many of you are married tonight? Let me see your hand again. If you're married, raise it good and high. Isn't it great to be married? Just great to be married. And I have one wife. Amen. I have one wife. We've been married 23 and a half years. My girlfriend, my best friend, we're on our honeymoon. We're trying to stay on our honeymoon. I recommend marriage. Marriage is wonderful. It's not God's will for everybody to be married. Some are called to be single. There's nothing wrong with that. Paul was a mightily used man of God and he was single. Uh, Jesus was too. And so this, there's, there's nothing wrong with being single if that's what God called you to do. But most people will get married. You may be single tonight and a teenager, and I'm going to preach a little bit about marriage tonight. Well, don't let that inhibit you from listening because someday you're going to get married and you ought to hear what I have to say tonight and practice it someday in your marriage. 
And there's probably all kinds of situations here. Now, some of you, it's your second marriage. It's your third marriage. Or maybe your newlyweds. One of your men told me the other day that he'd been married. He said, we're newlyweds. We've been married. We've been married. I think he said 18 days and 57 years or something like that. And uh, that's a good, good th- way to think. Marriage is wonderful. So maybe all is well in your marriage. And all I'm going to do tonight is strengthen you. But we live in a generation where marriages are falling apart so rapidly. It's startling. God's called you to walk worthy of the vocation. And his calling in your life involves you having a happy home, a godly family, and a happy marriage. That's what I'm trying to tell you. In fact, here was the, uh, here was the outline. It's a place. What's a happy Christian home look like? Man, we've covered a lot. If you're only coming tonight, you're getting one point out of like, I don't know, 55 or so that we've given so far. We've just talked in Ephesians. What does it look like? And here's one of the things you got to know. A happy Christian home is a place of happy Christ-like marriages. And uh, marriages are tricky things. They take a lot of work. They just do. Somewhere along the way, I saw a meme on Facebook. And this one man said to his wife, he said, you know, honey, after 50 years, I've found you to be tried and true. And she said, yeah, I'm tired of you too. There comes times our hearing fails and we struggle. We have challenges, no doubt about it. I heard about one husband, his wife, she came to the table and, and it had been a rough day and she had burned some things cooking the meal and it was just, it, was, it just had been a rough day. And she said to her husband, she said, uh, uh, this is the worst meal I've ever made. And he is trying to encourage her and he said, no, it's not. <laughs> that would get you in trouble, wouldn't it? That, that right there would do it, no doubt about it. Just, just gets you in trouble. So, so God wants you to have a happy marriage. I was looking through some notes I found online a few days ago on a lawyer's website. I went to a divorce lawyer's website, and here's what he said about marriage. Listen to this. He said, uh, according to his practice, now his, his, his divorce firm, his, his law firm, 41%, he said, of first marriages end in divorce. 41%. 60% of second marriages do, and 73% of third ones. I have a friend who's a marriage counselor. He says, and he, he just throws it out, but here's how he says it. He says 50% of first marriages end in divorce in, in his counseling practice. 75% of second marriages do. And he said, In his experience, 100% of third marriages. Now, I know exceptions to that, so I'm hoping he's wrong. But whether you are in your first marriage or your second or your third, all of us are aware that marriage takes a ton of work. And it's easy to fail, apparently. It's easy to fail, isn't it? You can have all the money in the world and fail, can't you? Mel Gibson, you know that name? Mel and Robin Gibson divorced in 2009. Their divorce is considered to be the largest celebrity divorce settlement. It cost him $425 million in that divorce. That's unbelievable, isn't it? Uh, I told you last night, Zsa Zsa Gabor, did I say it right tonight? She's been married nine times, nine times. Britney Spears, the shortest celebrity marriage, her union with Jason Alexander lasted 55 hours. Here's some statistics I found on the the divorce lawyer's website. If your parents are happily married, your risk of divorce decreases by 14%. People who wait to get married, at least in our day, until they're over the age of 25, have a 24% less likely to get divorce rate. 
Living together prior to getting married increases the chance of divorce by as much as 40%. You know why? Because when people live together before they get married, they don't live with the commitment of, of learning how to solve problems. They bypass it. So when they do get married after living together, they're no farther along than a couple who, who, who got marriage counseling and who studied marriage and, and went into marriage with their eyes wide open and a plan to make it work. So if you're living together, your chances of getting a divorce are on the rise. All I mean, that's pretty high, 40%. If you've attended college, your risk of divorce decreases by 13%. I read this. This one kind of caught me off guard. According to the 2008 voter data, it showed that red states, those that tend to vote Republican, have a higher divorce rate than blue states, those that tend to, to, to vote Democrat, which I thought was kind of unusual. According to Barna Research Group that measures statistics, uh, divorce statistics by religion, they found that the highest United States religious group for divorce... Uh, 29% is the rate uh, it would be Baptists. So I read that and I thought, you know what? I I need to preach to Baptists about marriage. Because our chances of getting a divorce are higher. And and marriages always have challenges, don't they? How many of you ever had an argument in your marriage? Anybody here ever had an argument in your marriage? Did you win? My, my, some said yes, real high. My friend... uh, my wife's daddy was best friends with an evangelist named Phil Schuler. How many of y'all know that name, do you? Did you ever hear Phil Schuler? He's in heaven now. And he was, when I met him, he was, he was ancient of days, it seemed like. And I heard him preach one time years ago. And Phil Schuler said his dad was one of those dads that didn't say a lot to you. He wasn't a real I love you kind of dad. Didn't hug you much and didn't give you a lot of advice. And so he said, you know, I got married. My dad never one time had a real meaningful conversation with me about marriage and all that goes into marriage. But he said the day of my wedding, I was backstage and I was getting ready, you know, the certain music started and I'd step out on the stage and watch my bride come down the aisle. And he said, my dad, my dad met me backstage and he got my lapels and my tuxedo. And he said, he grabbed me and he said, son, I've only got one piece of advice. And and he said, he shook me a little bit. He said, now, son, when you have your first fight, win it. (laughs) And he said, he turned me loose and went out and sat in the audience the only marriage advice I ever got was win your first fight. Now, you all have, all of you have had arguments. Marriage just takes a lot of work. You know that, don't you? I read somewhere, probably on Facebook, that arguing with a lady, arguing with a woman, is like reading the software license agreement. In the end, you just ignore everything and click, I agree. <laughs> How many of you know there's some truth there? Come on, don't leave me hanging. It's the truth. And so there's a lot to learn tonight. Here's what we studied last night, uh, and, I, and I gave you these. Last night, we started with a reminder in Ephesians chapter 5. So let's look at Ephesians 5, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I do want to draw your attention to the single most important verse in the Bible on marriage, Ephesians 5, verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. You're married tonight. God's plan for you is to be one, unity, in agreement, in accord. No longer two distinct people, but one in unity, working together to be one. That's, that's marriage. And so here is the reminder. This remind us, uh, reminds us of the definition. Marriage is one man who marries one lady 
by God's intention for one life. That's God's plan. It's always God's plan. God's intention is not that your marriage falls apart. Nothing should be more important than your marriage. You should let nothing come between you and your spouse. We live in a generation where pornography is such a huge issue. Don't let it come between you and your spouse. Get it out. Get it out. Stay away from it. Be scared to death of it. It'll run you. Be scared to death of it. If you see a little glimpse of it on your internet, run. 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 Treat it. You hate spiders? Anybody here hate spiders? I hate spiders. I hate them. They crawl on me. You ever had a spider crawling on you? You that hate them. You ever had, I was, I was shaving one morning. I was at the Bill Rice Ranch, a camp in East Tennessee or Middle Tennessee. I was shaving one morning. I'd been up late at night talking with some friends and slept three or four or five hours. Had to get a new camp day going. Three services and all kinds of work stuff going on in that day. I was preaching several times and I was half asleep and I'd taken a shower and I was shaving and I felt something tickle my neck. And, and I did two things. It was kind of a simultaneous. I opened my eyes and looked in the mirror as I'm reaching, you know, to kind of scratch that little tickle. And as I was reaching, it was absolutely shocking. There's a great big spider crawling up my neck. I, I didn't know how to break dance, but that's probably the closest I ever came. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I was all over that bathroom trying. The Lord called that, that little spider home. <laughs> I just want you to know the Lord called him home. He's, he's wherever spiders go. I reacted. I was afraid of it. Uh, I, some people are like that with, with snakes, aren't they? Anybody here hate snakes? Any, some people run. They say, oh, man, I'm out of here. My son, he's the opposite of that. He loves them. He'll catch them. If he sees a snake, he'll run it down, grab it, carry it around, let it wrap around him, take it in the house. And his mom, mm-hmm. She, he's almost met Jesus a couple of times over a snake. <laughs> I mean, she's scared of that. You know, we ought to be scared of anything that'll hinder our marriage. If it's pornography, you ought to run. Be afraid. Be scared to death of what it'll do to you and your marriage. Uh, don't let your job, don't, you know, the Bible says here a man's to leave his father and mother. Don't let your in-laws hinder your marriage. You do know if you're married, ladies, he's more important than your daddy. She's more important than your mama. I hate it when I have to counsel a couple and, and the issue in their marriage is that she keeps running back to mom and, and, and moms come between them. Don't let that happen. Bethley's parents, Bethley's parents helped us with that. You remember I told you yesterday that one morning we were going to church and, and uh, we were, you know, having a little argument on the way to church and uh, we got to church and we were a little miffed and, and a little tense, you know, Sunday school. And I went on to Sunday school and her mom's the church secretary. She was in the church office. And my wife stopped by and shared with her mom about our little, little issue on the way to church. And I'll never forget, I, I, I was so amazed by this. Her mom stopped it, said to my wife, we were newly married. She said, don't you, don't you ever do that to me? Don't you come in here and tell me anything about him. You walk out of this office and you get over there in Sunday school and you sit down by your man and you tell him you're sorry and you guys take care of this. You do not allow me to come between you and your husband. And she came and told me that later. And I'm just telling you, shame on me for telling mother-in-law jokes. That's a good mother-in-law, don't you think? Come on. 
That's true. What an incredible thing. You're to leave your father and mother and cleave to your wife. And that goes the other way too. Leave your father and mother and cleave to your husband. God wants you to be in unity, in accord. He reminds us here of our responsibility. Husbands, you're to love your wife. And wives, you're to love your husband. And you're to get along and you're to learn. You're to learn how to solve your problems. You're going to fuss and argue sometimes. Learn how to do it biblically. A soft answer turns away wrath. Lower your voice. Don't you argue with each other. Don't you raise your voice. Don't you get your you know, throat all tense and your butt and you're on edge. No. You're in love. And yeah, you're going to have problems, but, but simmer down. Pray about it. My father-in-law, my mother-in-law is a little high strung and, and, uh, and, and she would tell you that if she were here. So I'm not even, I'm not saying anything that she wouldn't tell you. I mean, she's, she's, she's high, strong, and dad's real calm. They're, they're, they're great together. And they bought a new house. They, they retired. He's been a pastor for 47 years. He's got Parkinson's now and, and, and another disease. So his health is really rapidly failing. But he loves the Lord. And they, they sold that. They had a really nice two-story house, and then they couldn't go up and down the stairs. Mom has rheumatoid arthritis. So they bought a one-story house. And, and my brother-in-law is a missionary in India. And he didn't tell her. They have a little attic above the garage, a little storage area. You can go up the stairs and there's, they don't use it. It's just a place to store things. Well, since he was going to India, he took a bunch of his stuff and stored it above the garage, but he didn't tell my mother-in-law. And one day she went up there to put something in the attic and found all of his stuff up there and made her mad. She, start, she started yelling, I can't believe it. His name's Jamie. I can't believe Jamie would do this and not tell me this is my house. It's not his house. And she was just, you know, taking Jamie's name in vain. And uh, I mean, really, and she started throwing stuff out of the attic. I'm not keeping that up here. This is my attic. She's throwing it down. My father-in-law stepped in the garage. Now they told me this. My father-in-law stepped in the garage. This is typical how he would, he stepped in the garage. She's mad. She's upset. And he stepped in the garage and he said, Linda, 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 let's pray. And he started praying. She's at the top of the ladder, throwing stuff out of the attic. And he comes in and starts calling on the name of the Lord. She said, that's how he always handles arguments. I I think that's a good idea, don't you? Next time your wife's mad at you, get on your knees and start praying. Now, I'm being a little silly about it, but isn't it amazing how we let things in our generation get bigger than they ought to be because we don't lower our voice? The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. The Bible says our words can heal or hurt. The power of life and death is in the tongue. You want to destroy your marriage? Then just, just learn how to yell at each other. Learn how to fight and learn how to just you know, knock down dragons. That's not Christianity. God wants you to have a sweet and loving marriage. You have a God-given responsibility to love and to learn how to make this marriage work. And you have a God-given responsibility to lead. You husbands to lead. You're to lead in prayer. You're to lead in devotions. You're to lead in the finances. You're to verbally speak during issues and help to solve them. If you're a man in the room tonight and you clam up and that's how you handle issues, then you're failing biblically. Because a man is to open his mouth and, and lead verbally. Not some dictator barking out orders, but a man that is a loving leader like Jesus, and he communicates to his wife to help her to know, and, and, and leadership involves a, a, a lady lovingly submitting, leaning his way. Remember that last night? Looking to him, leaning his way. Husbands, if you'll lovingly lead your wife, and you'll take, 
you know, the initiative and say, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to handle that. This is what we're going to spend our money on. Here's our budget. Here's how we're going to do it. You're leading. You're leading. You're leading. If you'll lovingly lead, have a real sweet spirit and be a godly man about it. And wives, if you'll lovingly submit, that's my man. I'm leaning his way. Okay, honey, we'll try it. You say, well, what if he says something that I don't like? Or what if I don't agree with him? Well, there's a place for that. You know, my wife and I studied Daniel because Daniel, you know what Daniel did when he disagreed with the king's order to eat certain foods? He went to the prince of the eunuchs and requested an audience. So it's not a thing wrong. My wife, my wife will sometimes, she'll say, now, honey, this is what you said that you want us to do. But, but can I talk to you about that a moment? We always try to talk behind closed doors. I'm thinking about writing a book called Behind Closed Doors. Because we go in, close the door. Well, what is it, honey? And she'll say, you know, hon, I, I know this is what you said, but did you think about this and this and this? Because if we do that, you know, the kids, we got this issue that we're going to have a problem right here and we got a problem. And you know, a lot of times we'll sit there and I'll think, you know what? I didn't think of it like that. And I didn't realize that. And I didn't realize that. And, and we'll sit down together and talk it out. What can we do to make this work? Communicate, make your marriage amazing. That's God's plan for you. And you're living in a generation where there's almost no happy marriages. Almost none. We're so ridiculously busy. And when we are sitting at home, you know what I've discovered, moms and dads? Did you know that the effects of a busy home is not much different than the effects of a broken one? I'm going to say that again because you ought to hear that. The effects of a home that is super busy is not much difference at all than the effects of a home that's just flat out broken. You take a broken home where dad lives over there and mom lives over there and there's stepkids and stepwives and step, you know, husbands and, and every, the family's dysfunctional and because they're a broken family and there's all the challenges that come along with that. Thank God God's able to help us with that. And sometimes in those situations, we win and we still have a great family, but it takes a ton of work for that to happen, doesn't it? That's a broken home. But a lot of us aren't broken. We're, 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 we're doing good. We're still married and our kids go to the Christian school. There's all kinds of things we could say. But you know, the fact of the matter is, it's easy in our generation to get so busy that, that a busy family winds up having the same effects as a broken family. Because we get too busy to pray. We get too busy to talk. We're so tired because we're so crazy busy. We come home and feel like we need to relax. And here's how we do it. We turn the TV on. And it's not wrong to watch television. But you know, when you sit at home in, in an evening and watch four hours of television, you just wasted four hours of potential opportunity to invest in your marriage and your family. Now, if you're watching four hours of television is an investment in your family, that might be different. But it almost never is. You so say, my wife and I, we're together all the time. We watch television together. Which means you don't talk. No communications happening there. You don't pray. And a lot of times, the only thing that happens is your blood pressure goes up together. You watch very much news at all and your blood pressure will, grow up, uh, will go up somewhere, won't it? It's not wrong to, to have a TV. Please don't misunderstand. I'm just simply saying, you and I have got to work because we have a responsibility to love one another and to lead and, and, and to lovingly submit. And, and here's, here's the next thing I want to show you. What in the world does a happy Christ-like marriage look like? Well, there's a reminder in Ephesians 5. There's responsibility that was all review with a little addition. And then here's the, the third thing I want to show you tonight. There's a relationship involved. You know what God wants in your marriage? He wants you to be one. That's speaking of relationship. Do you see that verse again? For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. That's relationship. And uh, here's how I said it. Isn't that great? 
you're married, you ought to be best friends. I, uh, I went on, uh, on the internet and I looked up, let me see if I can find it here. I, I, I saw that by definition, friendship is a relationship between two people who hold mutual affection for each other. Friendship is, by definition, a relationship between two people. Can I put it in Tennessean? Can I, can I, can I bring it down to country terminology? You know what that means? A, a, a friendship is a relationship between two people who like each other. You know what? I'm to like my wife. She's to like me. You know one of the greatest indications that your marriage is in trouble? If you show contempt for one another. When a couple sighs and rolls their eyes at each other, in their voice there's contemptuous speech coming out of their mouth, there's a problem in that marriage. Because when you have a close friendship, you don't talk to a close friend like that. You won't have many friends at all if every time you're around your friends, you always rip on them and tear on them and make fun of everything they do. You won't have any friends. There's no place in a marriage for contemption. This is, we're, not, we're, not to, we're not to rip on each other, tear each other down, and, and just have contempt for each other. That's not right. You ever, you ever seen a couple that's like that? They're a pain to be around. It's a miracle if they do stay together. And some couples do because they're too stubborn to get divorced. That's seriously true. It's not because their marriage is happy. It's just, it's, it's, they're just... They're just rude to each other. You're to be best friends. I, I, saw, I, I saw these. Um, somebody said, um, I, uh, I want to be the reason you look down at your phone and smile and walk into a pole. <laughs> I want to be that friend, a good friend. Isn't that great? Somebody said, uh, a good friend will try to bail you out of jail, but a best friend will be there with you saying, man, that was fun. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. Somebody else said, nothing better than a friend unless it's a friend with chocolate. Can I get an amen right there? That's a great friend. But this was the sad one. I saw a meme on, online and it said, I once had a best friend who is now a stranger. I have. My best friend in high school is a guy named Chris. We did everything together. My best friend. It's my best friend. I don't even know where he lives. I, I know he's married. I don't know his wife's name. I think he has kids. I don't know their names. He's my best friend. He's now a stranger. Life is that way sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes you move or a friend moves and somebody you were ridiculously close to, you almost never speak to anymore, don't even know where they are, don't know much about them at all. What's sad is that a lot of marriages end up that way. It's possible to live in the house with a person who over the time, over the course of time, becomes a stranger. God wants you to be best friends. To work on your relationship, to invest in it. That takes talking. That takes spending time together. That's that's spending money. Spend money on each other. She liked to shop. Give her money. Let her go. Take her. I'm not a big shopper, but I do it. You know why? Because I'm in love. I, I struggle with it. I mean, my sweetheart, my truck gets five malls to the gallon. It's crazy. Lady can shop, man. I'm telling you, she would, she would rather shop than about anything. She loves it. 
And uh, the biggest thing I like about shopping are the old men benches in the mall. You know, how many of y'all have ever sat on one of those? Have you? I watch people or sometimes I go with her and walk with her through a store and, 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 and try to get excited about things we're not going to buy. She loves it. So I'm investing in my marriage because I want to be best friends. We live near the beach. We don't live far from the Gulf of Mexico. And, and sometimes we'll go down and walk in the sand, just me and her, hold hands. We'll walk out on the pier. It costs two bucks a person to go out on the Pensacola Pier. We'll go out. We'll pay. I'll pay it. Four bucks. Four bucks. Take a walk on the pier. Stand at the end. Look out at the ocean. Listen to the waves. Look at the stars. Time. God wants you to be best friends. How, how, do you, how do you work on this marriage relationship? Be best friends. They too shall be one. Here's another one. Pray together. Now, this is a major failure in our, in our day. Very few couples that I know pray together. But you all need to change that. You need to learn how to pray together. It's important that a, that a, that a Christian couple is spiritually connected and prayer is the key to that. If you do not pray on at least a consistent or regular basis as a couple, then this is one of the things you ought to change in this meeting. You ought to say as a husband tonight when you get home, honey, now, Brother Young said we ought to pray together, and we've never done that, and so let's start. When will be a good time we can pray together? And you don't have to put on sackcloth and ashes and, and pray half an hour. Just pray together. Bethany and I try to pray every day for our children by name. God, I want you to bless Abby, and, and I want you to work in her heart, and and this is a prayer. We pray for our kids. We pray it often. I say, Lord, help my kids to love you. I don't know if you want them in the ministry or not, but I know you want them to love you. And I read in the Bible, I read somewhere in the Bible where the Bible says that someday God's going to take out the old stony heart of the nation of Israel and give them a heart that will love the Lord. And I went to God and got on my knees, me and my wife, and we said, Lord, if you can take out the old stony heart of the nation of Israel and give them a heart for you that'll love you, would you give our children a heart for you that will love you? We pray about it. Pray for your kids by name. We pray for their spouses. They're not married yet, but we're praying about it. We pray about issues in their life. We just hold hands and bow our heads and say a word of prayer together. And it's probably been the most wonderful thing we've ever done as a married couple is to start praying together. We try to help each other with it. Sometimes, sometimes I'll have a busy day and we haven't prayed together and I'll go to bed and, and I'm almost asleep. How many of you men know what I'm talking about? I mean, Give me another five seconds and I'll be that deep, I mean, you know, out deep, cold sleep. And my wife will say, honey, will you pray with me? And I always struggle. Should I fake it? <laughs> I mean, should I just keep on pretending that I'm out and I didn't hear that? I mean, I confess, I struggle with that. And I, I don't know how many nights I've, I've forced it awake and said, uh, well, sure we can. And you know, after we started praying together, and it became a habit in our life, we, we pray about all kinds of stuff now. My wife and I'll get a message a few days ago. A friend of ours uh, lost their second baby. And uh, the baby was born, so they, they, they had to have a funeral. The funeral was yesterday. So I was home last week, and we got the message. And my wife, she got the message because... She's close friends with this pastor's wife and the pastor's wife's at the hospital and just found out there's no heartbeat. 
like she texted Bethley, please pray for me. And Bethley made a beeline for me. And we stopped everything. And we held hands and prayed for our couple, our friends, that couple. That's a relationship. You, 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 you're best friends. You, you pray together. I, I like this one. You encourage each other. Do you, do you encourage each other? So maybe your wife's going through a hard time. Do you encourage her? Do you say, honey, I'm here for you? My wife's health, you know, has been bad over the last year, and we've had some issues, and twice we've been tested for cancer. and It's all come back negative, and so we're taking some, do we finally put our fingers off for tons of tests? This is some stuff we got to do. We got to change some diet issues and things like that. And it's been a tough year. And my wife, when she found out that she had to go in for this last test, that maybe it's cancer and all the symptoms point that way. And, and the doctors are preparing us and telling us this is what it looks like and this is what's going to happen. We've got to take one or two or three tests here to be sure. And they're going through all of this stuff. And my wife was just full of fear and, and she's all troubled and, and having a hard time sleeping. And, and I prayed about it one day and I went to my wife and I said to her, sweetheart, I want to tell you something. I don't know what's going to come back in these tests, but I want you to do, it doesn't matter what comes back in those tests because I'm in love with you and no matter what they tell us, I'm going to be there for you and I'm going to stand with you and I'm going to fight with you and I'm going to, we'll take care of it. We'll do everything we have to. I'm here for you and I want you to know that. That words, those words of encouragement changed everything. Marriages are more simple than we think. Do you encourage each other? How about this one? Are you thankful for each other? This is how you have a marriage relationship. When's the last time you wrote your husband a letter and told him why you were thankful for him? When's the last time you sent your wife a text and told her why you were thankful for her? My wife's home with five kids. I'm here preaching. I'm eating out today with pastor. I've got chocolate chip cookies at the table. I'm up here. I'm up here in Michigan preaching and in a sense, really having a good time doing it. And my wife's home with five children. How many of y'all know what that's like? Ladies, help me out. She's home with five kids and daddy's gone. And I texted her today to tell her I was practicing what was on my notes. And I wrote her a little note today and, and texted her and said, hey, I'm thankful for you. Thank you for what you do so I can be an evangelist. Normally we're together. Normally she would be here. She ought to be here. But we had these tests and we got all these issues we've been dealing with and we just, we just couldn't work it out. So I'm here alone, but I'm thankful for her and I want her to know it. I'm telling you, this is how you have a marriage relationship. God's plan for you is that the two of you become one. And that's relationship. But I got one more word and it's five minutes to late. We've talked about responsibilities. We've talked about a reminder. We've talked about a relationship, but I got one more word. And this is my favorite one. Are y'all ready for it? Y'all ready for it? This is good. This passage not only tells us about a reminder and a responsibility and a relationship, but this is good. There's romance in this passage. They too shall be one flesh. Where'd that come from? I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read to you. Listen to this. Here's what the Bible says in the book of Genesis, all the way back in chapter one. Let me turn over here. This is where we get this verse, Genesis chapter one. And here's what the Bible says. All right. It starts right here in Genesis one. Let me get my glasses so I can see it. And the Bible says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female. Say the words male and female. That's, that's a marriage. Male and female created he them. And God 
blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. Did you catch what he said? He made a man and a woman and married them together and told them, go be romantic. That's what he said. Can I just, can I draw your attention to something interesting in the Bible? Are are we, uh, are, are we okay if I'm a little, just, just tell you what the Bible says here. I mean, it's a little startling. What he says to them here is he says, look, now I made you male and female. Adam, here's your wife, Eve, and, and, and you two go replenish the earth. I'm going to say it gently. But what he says, you, you, you go be romantic, go make love. That's what he says. Then he says in the next verse, he says, oh, and by the way, I've also given you food. That's really interesting because you know what God's divine order is? One of those is more important than even what you eat. That'll preach right there now. I'm just telling you that will preach. Write that down. Highlight that. Say amen. Wave a hanky. That's good stuff. That's it. All right. Look at chapter 2 because here's, here's where we get that verse in, in, in Ephesians 5. In chapter 2, verse 21. Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. <laughs> you find that funny? I guess if God put you to sleep, you'd sleep, wouldn't you? Sometimes the Bible just says the most obvious thing, doesn't it? Like Judges 4.21, one of my favorite verses. The Bible talks her about Sisera, who was running from the battle and went into the tent to hide. Remember that? He was being pursued. And the Bible says that Jael, he went in the tent to hide, and Jael, the wife of Heber, took a nail. It rhymes. Jael took a nail. And she went to Sisera, who's he's exhausted from the battle, and he's asleep over in the corner of the tent. And the Bible says she went to him softly, and she took a hammer and a big long nail, and she drove it through his temple and fastened his head to the ground. And you know what the Bible says? Three words. So he died. <laughs> and I read that one day, and I thought, well, no kidding. I guess anybody would, wouldn't they? So here's what the Bible says here. God put Adam to sleep, and he slept. And so God took one of the ribs, closed up the flesh instead thereof, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, many a woman, brought her unto the man. In verse 23, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Notice how close they are. He said, she's another me. Where's the close? She's bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And, and one of my friends always says what that means is he opened his eyes and looked at that beautiful lady named Eve. And he said, whoa, man. And that's where you get whoa, man right here in the passage. And then in verse 24, here it is. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. This is the word of God, so just take it. It's, it's the Bible. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So notice that this one flesh idea is connected to romance. Just is. It's sacred. It's God's idea. I read you Proverbs 5 last night. Proverbs 5. Solomon says to his son, let thy fountain be blessed. And dwell with the wife of thy youth. Rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind in the pleasant row. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times. And be thou ravished with her love. You see what he's saying? There's romance in a marriage. Two shall be one. It's talking about romance. About having an intimate, loving, amazing married couple relationship. That's what he's talking about. Being that close. Being that madly in love. So that's all over the Bible. Hebrews 13 says, 
Marriage is honorable and all. It's just a great thing to be married. And the bed is undefiled. It's not dirty, that couple relationship, husband and wife, intimacy. It's not dirty. That's not soil. That's not contaminated. That's not evil. That's not wicked. Well, if you're married, that's of God. It's sacred. It's holy. It's beautiful. It's good. That's what he's wanting you to know. Teenagers, it's awkward for me to preach this to you. Can I tell you something, teenagers? If the only thing you know about couples, husbands and wives, or men and women, the physical relationship biologically that a man and a woman can have, if all you know about that's what you learn on the internet or from Hollywood or some movie or even some friend at school, why, you probably have all kinds of misinformation. And what you need to know is God's, this was God's idea. Have you ever read 1 Corinthians chapter 7? My goodness, what a passage. Can I read you a few verses in 1 Corinthians 7? And then I want to read you a few in Song of Solomon. This is going to be good. 1 Corinthians 7, listen to this. Here's some verses that will help you. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that you could give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Isn't that an incredible thought right there? When you get married, here's what the Bible says. My body now belongs to her and her body belongs to me and, and we're to care for one another and I'm to meet her needs and, and she's to meet mine and she's to be aware of my needs and always be aware of my needs and I'm to always be aware of her needs and we're to mutually be aware. You know what was happening in the city of Corinth? The city of Corinth, they had these temples that were idol worshiping temples and there were prostitutes at the temples. And here's what they did in the city of Corinth. They married in those days in the city of Corinth. Marriage was usually an arrangement. It had financial advantages or political advantages. And sometimes they, they, they married so they could get more money or they married so they could get a political status. And, and marriage in those days was about social uh, matters and, 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 and financial matters. And in the city of Corinth, men never married their wife because of sexuality. They would go to the temple for that. That's historically true. This isn't the first generation that is filled with sexual stupidity. That's a dumb way to live your life. And so Paul writes him a letter and says, that's not God's plan for a Christian. God doesn't want you going down to the temple for sexual reasons. God wants you to get married and spend the rest of your life meeting your wife's needs and your wife meeting your needs. That's God's plan. Teenagers, you're living in a generation that says, well, you know, everybody's doing it. You know, two guys can, can get together or two girls or, or you, you know, you, you don't have to wait till marriage. That, that's dumb. This is just the way, this is the way we're, we've evolved. We, biologic, it's just, just, just another biological need we have. It's no big deal. But I'm telling you it is a big deal. And God wants you to save it for marriage. It's, it's beautiful and it's holy and it's sacred. You're not, to, you're not to, to touch another woman, sir. You're to touch your wife is what the Bible is saying. You're not to be about another man, lady. You're to be about your husband. I'm, and in fact, this is what Solomon meant. Solomon says, son, don't you, don't you go out in the world and drink from the dirty, contaminated sewage water of the street. You take 
a drink from the clear, clean, cool water out of your own well of marriage. He gives a picture there. Go with me, go with me overseas and, and walk down some of the third world streets that I walk down where they have a little bathroom with a hole in the floor that runs out onto the street. That's the picture Solomon's giving, that water. Coming out of the bathroom, the stench of it, running down the street. You got to be careful where you step when you're walking down the streets of a third world country. The odor's a little powerful and a little offensive to those of us in America who aren't used to that kind of stuff. Solomon says to his son, go ahead and get a drink of that. That's like a man committing adultery. You're drinking out of the septic water of the world, which will give you all kinds of, of dirt and damage and, and is deadly. And, 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 and why would you want that, son? You need a wife and your wife. The relationship in a wife is clean and it's clear, cool water out of a beautiful well. That's the relationship God wants you to have. Are you all following this? Are we okay? This is, this is romance. This is what romance is all about. Listen to the Song of Solomon. You ever read that? Oh, my word. Uh, There's two or three views of the Song of Solomon. Some believe that the Song of Solomon is a relationship of Israel and and Jehovah God. If you believe that, I'm okay with that. Some believe that it is a picture of Christ in the church. Solomon, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Spurgeon believed that. And and that's that's, that's okay. That's one of the interpretations. But... One of the ways to look at the Song of Solomon is it's just an illustration in the Bible of how a married couple is supposed to be in love. Listen to what he says. This is good. Verse 1, uh, chapter 1 rather, verse, verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. That's marriage. That's marriage. Kiss me. This is wonderful. Uh, in, uh, in, in verse 15 of chapter 1, he says the funniest thing. He says, uh, the, the, the writer here says... Uh, Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes. I have no idea what that means. But he's sure complimenting her. I've never thought of my wife when I looked in their eyes. You have dove's eyes. He says in chapter 2, I'm sick of love. And it's not the way we use it. I'm sick of you. It's uh, I'm so madly in love with you that I'm just sick with my love for you. I like, I'm running out of time. Let me read you chapter four. Oh my word. Chapter four is one of the funniest chapters. They're writing here. They're in love and they're talking to each other. And he says, behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Here it is again. Thou hast dove's eyes. Thy hair is like a flock of goats. Boy, that'll get you some brownie points, won't it? Thy teeth are like a flock of sheep. Uh, he even says here, he even says here, thy lips are like a thread of scarlet. Boy, she must have been wearing red lipstick. Thy speech is comely. Thy temples are like a piece of a pomegranate within thy locks. <laughs> Sounds good, but who knows what that means. Uh, verse 4, thy neck is like the tower of David builded for an armory. Whereon there hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Well, it sounds good. God bless him. Thy two breasts are like two young rows that are twins, which feed among the lilies. This is in the word of God. Thou art fair, my love. Thou art fair, my love. Verse 7 says, there is no spot in thee. I'm so in love with you. As far as I know, there's nothing wrong with you. You're perfect. Wow. That's great, isn't it? This is marriage. This is romance. Uh, He says down in verse uh, 10, or verse 9, he says, Thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. 
In verse 10, how fair is thy love, my sister, my spouse. He says in verse 11, thy lips, oh, my spouse. Drop as the honeycomb, honey and milk are under thy tongue. And the smell of thy garments is like the smell of Lebanon. Now what you're finding out here in the Song of Solomon is, is uh, they spent time together. They kissed each other. They, forgive me, they went to bed together. They, they spoke to each other. They flirted. Can I throw some things at you? Can I challenge you in your marriage to practice romance? Do you date? How long has it been since you went on a date? I mean, do you date? Do you put the kids with a babysitter and go out just the two of you so you can sit and talk and listen and look? There ought to be some times where you look across the table at each other and stare into each other's eyes and fall in love again. That's called a date. Don't forget to flirt. You're married. How many of you are married? Flirt for crying out loud. Say it. Oh, baby doll, you have dove's eyes. <laughs> well, maybe not that one, but you know, find one that works, okay? But be in love. Be in love with each other. Flirt with each other. Smile at each other. Talk to each other. Text flirt. Do it. I mean, you got a phone, use it. Put your, I mean, put on the little, my, you know, if you're like my iPhone's got a little, you can voice text, a little microphone at the bottom, hit that, man, lay it on the line. Hey, baby doll. Better put your helmet on. I'm going to come home, kiss your brains out. <laughs> Flirt. This is marriage, church. This is marriage. You and I for too long have ridiculed it. Oh, my word. That Look at that newlywed couple. Oh, they'll get over it. Praise God. Why are we thinking that way in the church? The world is living together and, and men are getting married to men and women are getting married to women. And we act like in the church that something is wrong if you're in love with each other. Flirt. Plan romance. Plan it. I mean, make sure you say, you know what? This is our night. These are our nights. Can I tell you what my father-in-law said to our church one Sunday morning? My father-in-law said, every married couple ought to make love once a day and twice on Sunday. <laughs> in a Sunday morning Baptist church. And I was on the front row and I was like, you go, dad. <laughs> Amen. Man, we had revival in our church that morning. What in the world? My father-in-law, he was our pastor. And he, my mother-in-law always sat where y'all are. And my mother-in-law, he'd always, he'd be preaching. He'd say, you know, church, he said, my hot lips and I yesterday were out for a drive. <laughs> and you know what? Why not? Why aren't we planning romance? We, 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 we sit at home, watch, let's watch TV and we're so stinking tired. We don't have time for each other. Turn off the television. You, you do not need to know what your distant cousin twice removed had for breakfast this morning on Facebook. It's not wrong to use Facebook, but for crying out loud, make your marriage wonderful. Practice touch. Hold hands. Put your arm around each other. This is a good one. Practice kissing. Kissing's great. Teenagers, someday you'll get married. Just, it's, it's, it's great. Just kiss. I mean, just kiss in the mall. You ever seen those teens all over each other in the mall? 
We'll show them a thing or two. <laughs> We're even legal. That's the truth. Practice. I mean, work at Have a sweet, happy, amazing marriage. Practice intimacy. This is so, so strange to talk about in a church. But can I tell you something? We do marriage couples retreats all the time now. And in our polling, marriage, marriages in our churches, we're really busy. And I meet so many couples a day who, who almost act like this is, oh, for crying out loud, that's not even important. Important? It's the point. You're to be married. You're to love each other. You're to be best friends. You're to meet each other's needs. You're to care about each other. Church, God wants you to have a happy marriage. A sweet, loving, gentle, amazing relationship. Where your best friend in the world's her and him. Where, you're, where you hold hands and, and you'd rather be with him than anybody in the world. And, and you set aside time to give attention to each other. You spend time together. You work on it. That's what a happy Christian home looks like. That's it. That's what it looks like. What, what do you need to work on? What do you need to talk about, the two of you? What do you need to change? You need counsel? I'll help you if I can. I don't counsel ladies, but I can find you a lady that can help you. I'll counsel you men if you need help. I, I'm, I'm very comfortable. I'll just help you if I can. Don't be afraid to get help in your marriage. Get it. One of the benefits, you guys have a large staff for a church your size. You have four, four, four men on staff, and that means four couples on staff. And you want to know something? One of the benefits of being in a church that has four couples on staff would mean you have four opportunities to get help if you need it. Well, you say, well, I went to pass. You didn't have the answer. Well, try Brother Scott. Brother Scott doesn't have the answer. You have a music man. Try Brother Aaron. He'll love you for it. If you don't know what to do, ask Tavian. I bet he has an answer. <laughs> Listen, you, you get help. It's great to be married, isn't it? You're working on yours? You're, you're wanting to have a happy Christian home? You can. But I'll tell you this. You can't. You can't. You can't unless you know for sure you're going to heaven because that's where it all starts. My dear friend in this building tonight, we're done. If you died tonight, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? Is that a certainty in your heart? Jesus Christ died for your sins. That's what Christianity is all about. He was buried and he was raised from the dead. Why, sir, I've preached on marriage tonight. But the need of your life may be that you need Jesus in your life. You can't have him by just going to church or getting baptized. But you can have him if you'll come to God on the basis that you're a sinner. All of us are. And you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ who died for your sins and was buried and was raised from the dead. If you died tonight, how sure are you that you'd go to heaven? Wouldn't you like to know? 
Wouldn't you like to leave the building tonight knowing that God is your Savior, Jesus is your Savior, that your sins are forgiven, and that you have eternal life? Wouldn't you like to know that? Well, you can. My name is Dave. We're going to take just two or three minutes to pray about our marriages. Say, Dave, we never pray together. Then you ought to pray about that right now. Dave, our marriage, we're so busy. You ought to pray about that right now. We don't take a lot of time for each other to hold hands and talk and treat each other royally and be aware of each other's needs. We don't do that. You ought to pray about that right now. But while we're praying about our marriages, our pianist is going to play. And when he does, you'd like to know you're going to heaven. Would you come see me? We'll, we'll slip out privately. We'll get a counselor to slip out with you privately just to sit down in one of our rooms here in the church and you can leave this service and not on your way to heaven. That's our real heart. That's what we're all about. We want you to have a great marriage, but more important than that, we want you to know you're going to heaven. Will you pray with your spouse if you can? Teenagers, you don't have a spouse. Will you pray by yourself? Will you really pray and say, God, when I get married, I want that kind of marriage. Will you pray that way? Don't be afraid to pray that. You that are single tonight, Don't feel awkward in this service. Say, Lord, thank you for all the people in this church who have a great marriage and help them with it. And God, if you ever give me a spouse, help me to have a marriage like that. And if you want me to be single, then I'm just going to serve you with all of my heart. Don't leave discouraged tonight. Pray because you're important to God.